Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Dr. Kenan Omertag, and I'm your host of the Fertility Insider Podcast. And on this episode, we're talking to rising third-year fellow Vanita Alexander. We're talking to her about growing up in academia, why WashU, the opportunities for research and getting a master's degree. We're also going to talk about how COVID affected her search for a degree and what her experience with systemic racism were growing up. You don't want to miss this episode. All right, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. It's Dr. Kenan Omertag. It's another episode of the Fertility Insider Podcast. I'm here talking to second-year fellow Vanita Alexander and my one of my um, Emory buddies. So for those that don't know, I did a residency in OBGYN at Emory University, Grady Memorial Hospital in Fulton County, Atlanta, Georgia. So did Dr. Alexander. Dr. Alexander, what's up? What's it like being a second-year fellow these days? Uh, I'll tell you, I've already started using the term third year fellow. <laughs> it feels so close to the end. <laughs> I feel like I'm in senioritis mode, but it, it feels pretty darn good, especially in St. Louis summer. So where are you from originally? So I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, horse country, um, and have moved around a lot. I don't know, but uh, I still, my heart's in the Midwest. Um, my parents are still there as well. When are your parents a physician? No, no. My dad uh, is a chair still at UofL and is, came over there after his PhD at Virginia in Tech in industrial engineering. Nice. Um, and I feel like it's, his story is akin to Dr. Nelson. He was supposed to retire um, like every year for the last three years. <laughs> um, and then he was going to retire in June and they moved it back because of COVID. Um, but yes, he's at the University of Louisville. My mom... Uh, is an electrical engineer, worked at GE, and then uh, Ford is in kind of the executive areas. So. so was your dad in academia as you were growing up? He was, he was. What was that? My da- so my parents, my dad was a chair in academia growing up, too, in engineering management. And the reason I bring that up is, did you feel like there were always adults around the house having these kind of like... Mm-hmm. High-level conversations as a kid. Do you remember? Did, did that? Did you go to his office or stuff yeah. like that? Yeah. Was, was that your experience? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, especially so when I was in high school, his university's right about a five-minute walk from our high school. So we would always, my sister or I, when we were in high school, would wait in his office and do some studying while he was there, and he would he'd be talking to postdoctoral students or just have. A lot of academics around um, because he's Indian, and you can see his profile on the university page. A lot of Indian students actually from abroad would reach out to him yeah. if they were interested in studying. So we had a fair number of um, really great quality Indian students, but also they became like friends of the family. They come over for dinner a lot of times growing up. So Are, does he? I had a similar experience because both my parents are Turkish, mm-hmm. so my dad would get all of these Turkish recruits to come to Rolla, Missouri. Mm-hmm. Do you still have some of those uh, students that were family almost? Yeah. Are they now academicians and even chairs now? Mm-hmm. Have some of them kind of come into that role? And is that kind of, what is that like looking back? It, it is, um, it's pretty cool. I mean, a fair number because it's industrial engineering, it translates easily to business. So some of them have gone into business and we benefited that way. We got to go to like a tennis tournament because one of his students did well in the sponsoring institutions. But one of his students uh, went into academics at uh in Wisconsin, actually, it was really fun to go up and see him because obviously we have a lot of family connections there. Because my husband, for those of you who don't know, is from there, and I did medical school there. Um, but we visited his student, who's now 
not chair, but has gone up quite highly in the department. It's just really cool to see that kind of mentorship mature in real life and yeah. to say, yeah, my, well, my parents, my dad had a role in that and fostering that kind of relationship. You went to Harvard for undergrad. Yes. What did you do there? Uh, I we concentrated. That's what we call it at Harvard. <laughs> right. right. Um, <laughs> Weird. Uh, I concentrated in chemistry and physics and did a Spanish citation. Did you always know you wanted to go into medicine? Yeah, I did. I did. And I, looking back, I probably didn't need to beat my head against a wall <laughs> as much as I did. But there was a certain amount of. Uh, just I wanted to be part of the hard sciences like my parents were and my mom studied physics undergrad my dad my sister and my mom are all engineers so I definitely knew I wanted to do something in the hard sciences and then I found that was actually its own department so I thought I convinced myself being in a small department was advantageous and it was but I am not a physics does not come easily so <laughs> it was something I'm glad I did in retrospect but so, so you went. So then you went to med school at uh, Wisconsin. Is that right? Yeah, UW okay. Medicine. Did you take time off between? I did. I. What did you do? I I always say I'm a fan of taking the long route and <laughs> enjoying life. But uh, I after college, I moved to Seattle for a year, and basically because I had known somebody at Harvard during a summer research program who had a connection to kind of a an academic firm. Um, I was able to get an in at this firm called the Institutes for Systems Biology to do research. And I was I've always kind of, I always say this battle between doing research versus going into medicine. Um, that was a year where I, basically someone else was uh, directing the projects, but I got very um, adept at doing, you know, things like Western blots um, and, and preparing samples for mass spectrometry. So it was a very great year in Seattle, so not too shabby, so. So did you go there already having been admitted to med school, or did you not, or did you apply for med school during that time? I applied for med school during that time. Okay. So you do med school in Wisconsin. Is that when you met your husband? Uh, I did meet my husband in med school, but I actually, so I did three years of medical school, decided I want to do, again, had this little internal fight. Do I do mm -hmm. mostly research, or do I do clinical medicine? So I did the HHMI. Uh, what is that? research fellowship year um it's essentially you apply during i did it during after my third year but some people do it after their second year you apply show your research experience and say you know i really have a strong desire to be a physician scientist or and i would like to get more experience in this area um so about i think it was like 35 or 40 of us uh, spent a year actually on the nih campus living in dorms etc um but i worked in a uh radiology lab at the time I thought I was going to go into gynonc I was misled but I do want to still do research so that part is still there but I uh, worked in a lab working with a uh, diet labeling of ovarian cancer metastases um, and anyway I came back to Madison afterwards had a great year um, but I came back to Madison and all of my classmates had graduated <laughs> so I, I made some efforts to get to know the, uh, the 2013 <laughs> class which is cool but our class was much much cooler anyway <laughs> Um, because of that, um, we ended up, I ended up just meeting him just through, through that. Front. Yeah. Okay. Oh, not through school. So that no, because he, yeah. he is not a physician. No, he is not. What does he do? What does he he's, do? He's a federal agent for the FBI. I always joke with the MIB or Men in Black references, but yes, he is a federal agent. So he's in law enforcement. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so then you end up matching at Emory, is mm -hmm. that right? Um, what you know, being from Louisville, what was it like? Was it an easy transition to go to Atlanta? 
I yeah, honestly, yeah, that I, is a cool town. It is a. I, I actually remember looking at all the programs and thinking mm -hmm. I wanted to go closer to home. I loved Madison, loved, loved loved it, but I always had this sense that maybe it was a little smaller than I was used to. Um, so I kind of like that urban environment where you can take advantage of big city um, events and things like that, and culture and di diversity. Um, so Atlanta was a very natural uh, choice for me to apply, and I was really loved it when I. Um, was interviewing for residency, just the whole attraction. As you know, Grady mm -hmm. Hospital is there, and your Grady made yeah. kind of a stamp forever. But I really enjoyed uh, working with that inner city population at the time, and also having this, they have obviously these uh, prestigious academic hospitals as well. So I, I thought you kind of got both, a full swath of patient care that you... Yeah, I mean, I, I will to this day always owe a lot of my personal and professional growth to my four years as a resident there. Um, what, so what was it about the, so now you're, you're wrapping it up, you're ready, you're looking at options. Is this GYN oncology the thing for me? Is it not? <clears throat> Maybe it's not, but this REI thing works out really well. What was it about the program at WashU that was attractive to you for fellowship, for REI fellowship? Um, when I was interviewing, I also similarly wanted to end up close to home. I knew Midwest was where my heart was. Um, and I've always, WashU has a phenomenal reputation. And it kind of had kind of everything I was looking for in a fellowship. Uh, then and now a strong research base. There's this, the Center for Reproduction. Um, there's a strong presence there. And then when I interviewed here, I was really impressed with just the fellow fellowship interaction. I actually remember specifically one of the questions I thought was hilarious. They, the inter fellows asked, what kind of animal would you like to be if you were an animal? And I, for some reason, said a cheetah, but I rolled it back. I realized that sounded a little too intense. And I said, but I meant like the Cheeto cheetah, I tell oh, cheesy yeah. jokes. And oh, that's I was clever. like, yeah, really, really back. But they were just a fun group and just really laughing so that that really won me over and then the third thing was just the leadership is and was very just easy you could tell they're very interested in the fellow education very committed so those three things um, together really made it an easy choice for me so you're now in your second year mm -hmm. so tell us a little bit about the I mean let's transition a little bit here to what you're doing now what are you doing uh, research-wise so what are some of the projects that you're working on right now? Um, well, it was nice when I came into uh, my second year. There was, under the instruction of Dr. Youngheim, it was uh, great that she knew, and Dr. Ratt, that there um, was a set of uh, blood samples and case report files that had not really been delved into as they could have, and this was initiated by um, Dr. Cooper in a prior uh, her career here. So I really got to look at samples of people who had previously been diagnosed with juvenile idiopathic arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, different arthritis and different drug regimens. Um, and they, these blood samples have been collected over several time points, um, up to three or four years apart. Essentially what I'm looking for in my thesis project is are certain drug regimens uh, associated with steeper drop-offs in AMH over time than others. Um, and I'm really excited about the findings that will hopefully just submit an abstract for ASRM on that. Um, but this year has been really nice that I've focused on clinical research because I do really want to keep my hand in clinical research and I think that's a plausible goal or feasible goal as an active clinician. 
but during my time at WashU, I've been lucky to be on a grant that allowed me to take classes and get kind of more formalized training in writing, statistics, things I wasn't always familiar with. And I'm a couple of data sets that I've been interested in have been like an embryo disposition, telemedicine, which we, you and I looked at, and is there a difference in time to follow up, essentially, people who follow up in person or had their first inpatient visit, in-person visit, or via telemed. Um, and then I'm also just uh, looking at two more, a systematic review um, and fertility preservation protocols, essentially. Wow, that's um, so a lot. <laughs> we'll see if it all gets done. Yeah, I mean, you, uh, how many abstracts did you submit this I year? submitted two abstracts okay. to ASRM, one to PCRS, um, and we'll, the other two are kind of... Let's transition to another topic I wanted to talk to you about, and that is what are you already, you know, now you're transitioning from second year to third year. You're already start. are you starting to think about where the future holds for you? How's yeah. that process going? That that process is is going well. It's uh, great that the WashU training uh, it's well respected nationwide. I'm we're looking at staying in the Midwest, uh, hopefully close to home. But um, but wherever I've reached out, I've always been welcomed <laughs> with open arms. Well so that means really. Uh, do you do you have a pre- so? Your your you kind of grew up in a fa- your father was an academic. Um, you've been to multiple institutions. Do you do you have a preference for academia versus private practice? Um, I mean, some people are just like, I don't really care. I just want a job. Some people are like, I really need to be in this location. Some people are like, I really want to have access to this. Everyone's a little bit different. Where? How would you describe your approach? I would. I will say that when I started fellowship, I was really uh, interested in doing academic medicine. Um, but as I've gone through th- the course of things, I've kind of noticed within our specialty, it might be there are different pros and cons with each practice. So something that I guess the compromise is the semi-academic position, which I don't think exists a lot, but you can always, I've started realizing you can frame your positions how you would like. And it, I would love to take an active role in teaching um, wherever I am. And there are lots of universities here that have an ability to be, serve as like an adjunct professor where you can have medical students rotate through. Um, and there are data sets available um, and ways you can tie yourself to an academic institution to get that kind of RRB approval if you want to continue doing research. Um, I, I think part of what makes me a more selfish person maybe that I enjoy the I want the patient to be mine almost. Yeah, I almost yeah. get a little uh, possessive when I we have such high-level learners here with residents and fellows coming in that, you know, sharing that with with a resident or fellow I think is the ultimate, you know, self. Um, it's a very sharing thing to do, our attendings do, and I really appreciate that. I'm not sure if I'm well-matched for that, so, and that's why I say maybe that's, semi-academic is what my... Ultimate. And that's normal, because you've been a trainee for a long time, mm-hmm. and at some point, we all are kind of like, okay, now it's my turn. Yeah. I, I've gotten everyone's advice, I've learned from everybody, now I want to be, you know, Dr. Alexander mm-hmm. and be my own person. Um You've done a lot with medical education here and, you know, with the preceptors, with the medical students, um, our, you know, our fellows have a long track record of doing a lot of education activity at the medical school level and at the resident level, formal training, uh, formal um, training and opportunities to actually be better teachers. So you've definitely taken advantage of that. What... 
how are you handling the COVID scenario? Has that affected you much? Um, I, I will say it, it has. Um, part of what I liked about clinical research and that I didn't like is it can be feel unstructured. But I liked having the classes for the MSCI that have kind of built in structure to my day. Um, and it, part of that involved a seminar where, you know, Tuesdays at this time, I would truck over there and see in-person fellow MSCI scholars present their research, which was really cool. And actually, I had a rheumatologist give feedback on my project. Incredibly useful. Um, with the COVID pandemic, things have gone to Zoom, which like a lot of things, um, which has been great that we can still participate. But I do miss that ability to see someone face to face and say, okay, let me take down your name and number. That is, you are a rheumatologist, so I'm going to remember you. Versus on Zoom, it tends to be like 90 people or whatever, how many people signed into a Zoom session. You can't really keep track of who's there, or who you're meeting with. Um, so that's affected me. But I, I was just speaking to you about, I took a boards course last week where I think they did a great job incorporating that large audience and then they did breakout rooms with small three people members and you really felt like you were starting they're like here this is my name this is what I do so it was more of a personalized approach with the medical students I haven't had to teach a small group within after COVID so I don't know how that's going to affect things it'll probably be a similar interaction but with their residents uh, I did one zoom session with them and honestly it was kind of nice they uh yeah, they presented. You could tell they were a little more relaxed, but I, I also was, like, screenshotting some of their slides. I was like, this is an advantage I never thought of with uh, doing things live. You kind of just are like, I'll remember that for later, and I, I never do. So it's nice to just have it, like, on a, a word. So I think we're making our uh, our the right adaptations. Um, so it's not it's, this is not a forever lost thing. I think eventually, maybe in a year, we'll be back to a little bit more in-person meeting. But I think, you know, I know you talked about this. I think everyone's realizing they have to work more efficiently. Um, and it's not all for the bad, the worst. I think it just means we'll actually have more participation because it's the ease of being able to, to link into class or link into patient visits. This may actually just take that one down, one barrier down by offering it to people in their homes. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be... Medical education is going to be very different. Um, not just because of COVID, but also because of George Floyd. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of change. That, there's a lot of bias in medical education against people of color um, that's been built into the system over time. I wanted to add, and I kind of wanted to ask you this while we're on the topic. Mm -hmm. I mean... What was your introduction to racism in this country? I've got to say, I was just, I, some of my closest friends, like my, my college roommate, one of, in college, a couple of my block mates are black females in high school. I had a really, anyway, very close black female friends um, who I didn't even think um, what had, had, how had their experience been, um, affected growing up as a black female but then with these events because I think this is the first time in my generation that it's been in my awareness that being black has been had such an echoing an event has such an echoing uh, oh, effect yeah, on all of us I mean the George Floyd case is certainly feels different but yeah. you know like I was too young when Rodney King yeah, happened yeah. so I didn't have those conversations but talking to them, they talked about, like, when they were, it was a well-known thing. When you were seven years old, your parents sat you down and said, this is what we tell you um, to, if there is a police in the area, do not give them a reason to 
suspect you to be angry. And I was like, at seven years old, that seems so young. I, I cannot in turn, because I am a person in color, of color, technically, I cannot say I had that kind of young awareness of myself being different, just because I happened to grow up in a somewhat diverse community with a lot of Indians, I should say. But um, the, when things started, I will say my awareness of race really didn't come in until like I was probably, whenever September 11th happened, I think I was like, 17 or 16 year old in high school my dad gave us a poster board of a american flag to put in our car window just and it was not as a joke but he thought that that was going to ward off um anyone having ill will um because at that time it was scary and it is i i can't say i'm i myself am very persecuted because of being an indian person but i like i was just describing to my friends, you know, I can see subtle things. My, my husband is white. When we're walking in the neighborhood, if it's an unknown person and we're with a family, they'll all wave to him. But if I'm just alone, it may not be as easy. It, that stuff doesn't really uh, bother me. But this really, I think for the first time, we're having to take an internal lens and within medicine, within all walks uh, of life. law enforcement, everything. And I'm just hoping what everybody else does, that this does, we don't lose this moment because it, you know, within the news cycle or the two weeks that pass, this may become a forgotten memory and I'm just hoping that our generation won't let that happen. So what's it been like balancing fellowship and your personal life? Um, I, I will say that fellowship, I had my first child at the end of residency or during fourth year and it was, it was okay, <laughs> but it was a little more um, stressful. I think actually fellowship's a wonderful time to grow your family. <laughs> Um, especially during your research year, it's yeah. uh, uh, it's been nice to actually spend a little more time, especially with this, you know, COVID, it was not a great situation for so many people and working on the front lines. Um, but as someone who's been on research, uh, I will say that spending time with family is forced spending time with family has been somewhat nice, just taking walks with them and enjoying getting to know them uh, a little bit better. Um, I have, so that that's personally um life balance has been pretty good <laughs> um it'll be interesting to actually i'm a little more nervous going back to uh real life and attending life i think fellowship life may be the best it gets as far as it's pretty nice. personal <laughs> life and uh it is pretty work nice. balance situation yeah well good well that's vanita alexander <laughs> um she's a rising third year yeah. <laughs> official on july 1st Thanks, Benita. Hey, thanks, Anna. <laughs>hope you enjoyed today's show if you're interested in more fertility or infertility related content check me out at dr ken and omer tag md on instagram mm-hmm.